Hello, and welcome to All the Best Bits. This is the episodes where we do audio commentaries for films we've discussed in episodes. Uh, this is your host, Will, and as always, I am joined by your co-host, Kevin. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Good. We're back again. We're back again. We're back again. And tonight, Kevin, we are going to be doing an audio commentary for Night Teeth. But it's an audio commentary with a twist. Never heard of it. <laughs> we have a twi- we have a twist, Kevin, because for the first time ever, we're doing an audio commentary with the actual filmmaker behind the film, Adam, and former, more and more importantly, former guest of the of the show, Adam Randall. Hello, Adam Randall. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good. Thanks for coming on to do this audio commentary. It's so exciting. Welcome back. Yeah, thank you. I used to uh, listen to commentaries all the time back in the DVD days, so it's nice to actually get a chance to do one for a streaming film. I missed them. I missed them. I used to... to so do that I. was my film school. I learned so much from actual audio commentaries than making short films, mm-hmm. <laughs> which probably says something about the quality of the short films we were making, but yeah. Definitely. I went to film school, but the Lord of the Rings extras, I think, taught me more about the process than anything else. Oh, yeah. Did you listen to all of those audio commentaries? Because I have. I did. Wow. I was obsessed with those films. I mean, I still absolutely love them. I still am. Yeah. 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 But they have like audio commentaries. They have. So each film is nearly four hours long. They have at least four audio commentaries per film. I've I've never managed to listen to every single second of the audio commentaries, but I have listened to the Peter Jackson ones. I'm pretty sure true. And they're brilliant. They're so informative. And the fact that he managed to get those films made at all is, was a huge inspiration to me because I've only seen the first one. (laughs) The Hobbit. I haven't seen any of the rest. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so this is Night Teeth. This is a film that came out. It's on Netflix. And um, Adam directed it. And Adam, uh, how can you give us a kind of a, a little bit of insight into how you got on board this project or how, what was the genesis for you to yeah. become a part of this? Sure. It, it, you know, compared to the other films I've made. As quickly as possible. <laughs> Kevin, for goodness sake, this is what it's going to be like for the next hour and a half. Um, I'm sorry, Adam. Sorry. Yeah. It's a, can I mute him? I don't know. If yeah, we possibly could. Um, the, uh, <laughs> compared to the other films that I've made, this is not the most exciting story. You know, the struggles of, of the independent films. This was, I was sent a script from a producer called Vincent Gatewood, and it was it was different to what the, the film is, is now, but it's the same premise. It was collateral with vampires was how it was pitched to me. And I read the script. I thought it was really fun. Uh, we did a little bit of work on it. We took it to Netflix. We thought that was going to be the best place for it. Uh, and they loved it. Um, part of the pitch was the way we were going to develop it. It was a much sort of smaller, uh, kind of grimier horror comedy. Um, and we mm. wanted to expand it. And uh, and I wanted to give it that sort of John Hughes, one crazy night vibe to it. Mm, yeah. So uh, part of the pitch was that, you know, we, we went in and pitched the, the take as well as the script and then, they came on board and we spent about eight months working on the script and then went straight for it. Was it that fast? Eight months? Jesus. It was, I mean, it was almost a year to the day of giving it to Netflix to starting pre-production. Wow. It was incredibly fast. You know, iBoy, uh, which was my second film that I did for Netflix, but that was four years from getting the book to shooting it. You know? Wow. Um, that was, so this was a different experience. 
Unbelievable. Yeah. So we have our we have our Netflix browsers mm. up with nineties ready to play. So we're all gonna hit play at the same time. That sounds good. Okay, so I'm gonna count us in, right? And three, two, one, and hit play. Oh, I need to turn down my volume. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can't hear you. I just heard a big ba-boom of the Netflix logo. We're all around you. These opening titles, when did you land on these? And what was the, the, the genesis of them? Because these are gorgeous opening yeah. titles. Uh, we, in the very first cut, when it was just me and the editor, realised that we wanted to put the sort of basic mythology of the world up front. It felt like the kind of film where you don't want to be, it doesn't want to be holding it back for an hour because it really stops the enjoyment of it. So we realised we wanted to do something where we just told the audience straight up, here is the world that you're in so you can enjoy it. Um, so we're talking about different versions of that and it just, it seemed like the best way of doing that is by having, driving through the streets of LA. This is all. A, this is a film about driving and the combination of that and then the neon of the film felt uh, mm. like a, mm. a really nice combination. So we spoke to a, a number of different companies and sort of, I mentioned this idea and um, about, you know, could we reflect neon on the car that's driving through? And actually that it's Victor's car driving through LA, you know, seemed like a fun idea. Uh, you know, the beginning of his hump. Uh, and so this was, you know, this actually was probably the last thing that happened in the whole process. This was well into the edit, you know, right up until they finished this about two days before we finished the mix. It was, well, yeah. wow. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And was that a combination of actual live action camera footage and then with animated elements superimposed on it? Or was it all animated? I wasn't it, sure. Exactly. It was, it's it's uh, some live action. They shot the car driving around LA, you know, overnight. Right. Um, so and a lot of it's that. And then all the neon and everything is, um, is CG. Sometimes the car is pure CG, but right. sort of depended shot by shot. It's very bold. I remember when I first watched it, I was I was really struck by that visual aesthetic, and I was like, it it, it drew me into the film in a in a lovely way. Um, the thing that I love about this film is that it just looks like a film, and that sounds like a really reductive compliment or a backhanded compliment. But these days, that's not a guarantee. But this looks like a like a legitimate film from when I was going to college. You know, shot on film type of film, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, th- that's, that's the aim. We, we use some gorgeous lenses and shot it anamorphic and a lot comes down to the lighting and the design. But I find that hugely important and also just sort of something that um, it should be the bare minimum in many ways, unless there's a reason why you're not shooting it like that. But if you're making a movie, then you should, it should look like a movie. You, I, just, I never really quite understand it when you watch a film and, and it just looks terrible. You had all the resources, the bare minimum. It's like if you record an album. Matrix just- Resurrections. <laughs> Kevin, I don't mean to be bashing on other films, but I genuinely, that was in my mind. I went, this film looks better than The Matrix Resurrections. Uh, you know, uh, you know, there's a quality about this that it looks filmic. And I don't know, is there, a, do you consider, like, there's no, I don't see any grain, but it just feels like it has that texture, that greenness, which, you know, which yeah, we, other films don't have. We put a little grain on it. You know, you can put oh, okay. uh, a, a little film grain on it. I mean, I guess there's two schools of thought with, with when you're shooting on digital, which is that you go, you embrace the digital look or you try and mirror the, the film look. 
I love the film. Look, I'd, I'd love to shoot it. I, you know, every film I do, I broach, can we shoot this on film? And everyone, I just like, am told no, or just sort of silence until I stop talking about it. As <laughs> <laughs> I assume it adds a huge amount to the budget if you want to do that. It, it adds to the budget. It's just, I mean, more complicated. It's a more complicated post-process. Um, and, uh, you know, and then there are definite benefits to shooting on digital. I mean, it's much, it's, it's really... I love that, 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 the shoes. Oh, the shoes, yeah. Was this all storyboarded? Uh, a lot of, that shoe th- was, was very early on, yeah. I, I storyboarded, I shot list everything in this film, but, you know, storyboarded the kind of action sequences. I, I, I find storyboards are more useful to communicate to other people. They don't, I don't find them hugely helpful for me. Um, but, okay. you know, every shot on the whole is figured out, especially those sort of visual sequences. So when you're going in on the day, this feels like one of those films that you know, you know, you know the sequence of shots you're going to shoot when you're going to see how you're going to shoot it. Are you, are you improvising in a moment? Are you looking for a, a better way, or do you have basically? That's my question. Do you have everything figured out before you, you know, you say action, or do you kind of like look and improvise on, in in the moment? Yeah, I, I, I figure everything out beforehand over months and months. To, you know, shot list it, uh, then with the locations, and you sort of adapt. Um, or you, if you're building or you find the locations based on the way you wanted to shoot it, but you adapt. And then I've never looked at a shot list on the day of the shoot. Like, yeah, I spent all oh. this time writing them and then it's turn up and I've never, ever looked at them. They're, either, they're, they're ingrained, but also you want to yeah. let go of them because you want to allow for something more interesting to happen. There are certain things like that crane shot with the trainers that, you know, that's very specific and you've got the exact equipment you need to make that work. But on the whole, yeah. particularly when it's performance, you have an idea, but then you want to, you know, and you want to allow the actors to decide that they actually want to walk to the other side of the room. You know, it, okay. you don't want to, you know, constrain them too much. Was the, is this the only sequence in the film that shot during the daytime? Yes. Yeah, and it's where gorgeous. did you looking. where did you shoot this? Where was the location? Uh, the the all of the university was in New Orleans. Wow. Which, uh, you know, a lot of this was shot in New Orleans. So, you know, the majority of it was shot in New Orleans. And this, uh, you know, it just felt such a great match. The palm trees basically saved us. But the... It's so colourful. Yeah, and it was the the weather. I mean, the day before was completely cloudy. Uh, so it was just that if it was cloudy or raining, it just would not have worked. And this day was a mixture. There was a little bit of sun and a lot of clouds. We'd literally wait for the cloud to break, run, shoot. And then the cloud, if the cloud came over during a shot, we'd have to cut and wait for it again. Your locations are just stunning. Like, look at that. That's so beautiful looking. And it's just the compositions. Yeah. So that is Boyle. That's Boyle Heights. That's in Los Angeles now. That's in Boyle Heights. Yeah. 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 But the, the, the matching of the shots, like the, there's this very specific light. We talked about that on the one night in LA, I get one night in big, the big city, but there is a very specific light in Los Angeles, isn't there? Um, and funny enough, it's, you seem to, you, 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 you faked it <laughs> when I was looking at the, 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 the university stuff. I was like, oh, that does look like Los Angeles. So the light in, um, in LA or in California, I mean, it is just unbelievable. Uh, you know, and then when you come back from LA to the UK, it, it feels like somebody's just turned the dial down. You just, yeah. you know, yeah. it's just a very, very different kind of light. I mean, that is yeah. one of the things that's most spectacular about that place. And then they have these like two hour sunsets, you know. Yes. Did you build any sets? Like, I presume that this was a location that you 
shooting in? That was a location we built uh, a few sets. We built the draining chamber later on. And we can get to there when we, and we built Victor's house for the end. Um, Look at that production design. So dense. Yeah, the art department were absolutely incredible on this. And there was just so much thought and so much research into everything. And So you've done four films. This is your biggest budget of the four. What was the big gear change for you between doing the, the more constrained indies and suddenly having a, a significant budget to do this one? You get told yes a bit more, I guess, you know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds sort of obvious, but you, 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 you I, I was often surprised. I'd say, I actually really need a crane for this. And they go, okay, okay, we'll, we'll find out for you. Wow. You know, whereas, <laughs> you know, on an independent film, either they just sort of laugh or they go, oh, yeah, 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 we'll look, we'll look into it. And you just know that they just aren't even <laughs> picking up the phone because it's such a ridiculous ask. So you can be more ambitious. You're still always up against it, but you can be more ambitious. You have more time. You know, ICU, we shot in 20 days. This we had, uh, it was eight weeks of shooting. So it's different. Wow. Felt very different. Did the film turn out how you imagined it when you were first reading the script? Or did it change significantly where you had to sort of learn to um, embrace what the film was wanting to be? If that makes sense. Yeah. Is it exactly like what you imagined or where did it change? In some it ways it is. And in other ways it is. it's, it's, a, it's such a long process that it's hard to remember exactly. I know that visually it is, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the amount of color and the neon um, uh, and the, uh, and the way it sounds and the music, everything like that on a stylistic level is exactly how I imagined it. It's exactly how I pitched it. My, the very first lookbook I did is just basically that, you know, all the image, you look at it now and it's like, oh my God, it's so similar to what it ended up being. In terms of the actual- What would have, what would have been in that lookbook? Uh, images from other movies and, and photography that I found. So, you know, whether it's, mm. you know, films from LA, you know, Nightcrawler and Drive and, you know, that you know, and, and Warriors and these sort of references that we talked about in the last uh, podcast. So just to sort of, and it, there was like a sort of the, the, a colour scheme. So it Look changed. at that shot. What, so like, why did you, what was the decision making behind doing that? Starting and then sort of twisting the camera around? This felt like a film in which it, uh, it allowed us to have a huge amount of fun with the camera, you know, that like you could really just make the camera sort of musical, you know, and float around and spin around. And particularly as like, he's about to tumble down this rabbit hole that the camera mm. moves can almost reflect that. Oh, that's know? clever. It feels like you're introducing the, the car almost as another character. And also, yeah, for me, it was like, you know, this is, oh, this is going, this is your portal. As you said, this is the, this is the rabbit hole. Is the, is this, is this, Escalate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing how much you see them. I never even noticed them before. And then, I mean, in LA, you don't see them here ever. I don't think that's one in the no. UK. But there, there's just, they're just everywhere. I mean, anyone who's, I guess they're instead of, and they still see this sort of stretch limos, but they are, they're what pick people up from the airports. You just see them absolutely everywhere, these huge mm -hmm. mammoth vehicles. Um, so we took that, we pulled some seats out, we sort of adapted it a little bit, but um, we just knew how much of the film we needed to shoot in that vehicle. What was the casting process like? How did you sort of choose who was 
going to be in this? Uh, well, it's different for, for different <laughs> characters. For for the lead, uh, you know, I mean, it almost sounds like a cliche because you hear this, but it genuinely was. George was the only person who I wanted to play Benny. He was literally, there was a list wow. of one. Um, you know, he, it was a really <laughs> difficult role because you needed him to be sort of slightly geeky and awkward and funny, you know, and relatable, but yeah. also... You have to believe that Blair's going to genuinely fall for him, you know. So he has to, he can't, you know, he has to be relatively sort of, not relatively, he's a good looking guy, but in terms of the character, he has to be good looking and um, and sort of he's charming. Charisma. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to have a match of those two things. He can't be just this sort of, the kind of geek archetype, you know. But also he needs, he can't be some chiseled fellow who's pretending that he's, <laughs> you know, that he's that. So, um, and he I like his uh, white trainers. It's like, he's just not, he's almost there, but he's not fully there. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Looking the part. Um, he's got that uh, Miles Morales from, you know, Spider-Man quality, you know. He would be a great Miles Morales. He would be this amazing. Might be a little, he's just a little bit, I don't know what age he is, but he's just, yeah, he definitely has that energy about him. Where he's, uh, Although he was in the Spider-Man movies, wasn't he? What? Yeah, yeah. you know what? I watched the beginning of the second one yesterday and you know and it sort of starts with him after the, you know the prologue he's brilliant he's very funny in it yeah he's one of the um the newsreaders of the the local uh tv station <gasps> no way i didn't know that wow she's fantastic in this yeah. they're both out like the the three main leads i think are, are excellent but yeah they've got great chemistry okay, the two cool. of them. Um, um, i'm jay hi jay something wrong no so uh where did uh so she obviously the the actress what's the actress's name who plays i'm terrible who plays blair yeah uh, debbie yeah, yeah. ryan debbie sorry i'm just i'm completely terrible with um recalling names so was she did you did you cast or was a casting process for that character as well or yeah was that was that was huge the, the process of, of nah, she won it in the lottery <laughs> no but i'm just wondering is this one of these people who had to read for us or it was there yes yeah, she, she did yeah. read for it um you know we we saw a lot of people for blair and and, and zoe because it was really important that that combination worked uh, mm-hmm. and Blair, you know, Debbie Ryan is really, really famous and successful. Um, but she much more so in the States and internationally because the Disney Channel never really broke through in the UK. We don't really know the, the yeah. Disney Channel in the same way. And those sitcoms and things that came off the back of that, didn't know them. So for me, it was a new discovery. But for Netflix and for a lot of the people working on the film, it was like, she, she's the biggest star <laughs> in the movie. So it's I went in so it, funny. Yeah. which was great because I could just judge it purely on performance performance you know, whereas mm-hmm. you know without all the baggage of it's debbie ryan and i just thought she was fantastic but actually i initially imagined her as zoe and lucy as blair uh and then as we were sort of talking and as i was sort of working with both of them the characters flipped which is something that i wasn't expecting um and now i can't even imagine how it could have been the other way around um but it just goes to show you how good they are that they could they could yeah. play such good versions of both yeah, she's great as well. How many days did you have to shoot this? Um, it was four. I mean, it's sort of because of COVID, it kind of got a little bit muddled, but it was about 40 days. Oh, you, right. Wow. So you were shooting during COVID? We shot all of New Orleans before COVID, 
when the world, I mean, I was texting with you, Kevin, because you were telling me that this thing COVID was happening. And I was like, oh, shut up, Kevin. It's going to be fine. <laughs> Stop panicking. Uh, meanwhile, the whole world was looking down. But we were in New Orleans. So we had no, we were just like, you know, shooting and partying. We had no idea. Okay. So um, back up a little bit. You're in New Orleans. So you're not shooting in Los Angeles. We're in New Orleans for the first six weeks. Um, okay. Yeah. Of the shoot. All of prep, you know, the first six weeks. Then the plan was we finish the end of the sixth week. We get on a plane, we do a week prep in LA and we shoot for two weeks in LA. So we get on the plane, get to LA and lockdown hits and we wait five and a half months and then we shoot in LA. So, and then it becomes actually longer. So we end up prepping for more like a month and then we end up shooting for three weeks because not only because everything suddenly is much slower because the whole process is slower because of COVID, but we added some scenes, you know, we did a, you know, uh, we edited what we had and um, and we realised there was a few scenes we wanted to add. Netflix were, you know, I mean, the only time in my career and possibly, you know, going forward as well, when the studio says, is there anything extra you would like to shoot? Any other scenes you'd like to make? You know, rather than always <laughs> before, it's been like, what what can you cut? So we, re- we wrote yeah, a yeah, number yeah. of scenes. and So it actually expanded the shoot. But it was obviously a very strange thing. In New Orleans, it was one type of shoot and then when we were in LA it was masks and tests and actors had to come onto set do their lines and then be taken off set you know whereas our whole thing is everybody just hung out together it was like a family you know so you're a British guy and you're shooting in the States what was it like because this is also your first well it's not you did I see you in the States as well but what was it like generally just shooting in the States versus shooting in the UK it's on the whole, I mean, I sort of find it pretty similar, really. There's certain rules and regulations in the States that um, make – you have to navigate more because they've got the unions and so there's less bending of rules. Although when I was shooting films in the UK, they were indie films, so we were probably breaking all sorts of rules that we shouldn't have anyway. But it definitely feels <laughs> like there is – you know, you do your 10 hours, you do your 11 hours, and if you, you, know, if you go five minutes over, that's a big deal. It's not like – and if you – you know, if you want to move something on set, you get the art department to move that thing on set. It's it's much more like everybody's protected in their roles. Uh, everything's unionized. So it's, there's, you know, a sort of stricter uh, sense on the set. But on the whole, it was very similar. It's a huge... I, mean, I always want it to be really fun set. You know, I play music. I want everybody to hang out. Only one can sort of chip in with ideas. The actors are friends with the crew. Like I feel like it was so painful, and frankly still is, to make films you know, to survive in this industry that for the actual moment you get to make the film to be stressful or not fun. Like what is the point in the process then? You know, we don't Mm. all suffer to then be assholes and, you know, and and have tension on set. We just passed uh, the entrance to this party and it was all lit up with these glowing red flowers. I love that shot. Yeah. I love it. And did you plant all those or what was the... Yeah, so that was... So we prepped for three weeks in New Orleans and I went back to LA because that's where my family were living at the time um, for Christmas. And I went to this light show and I saw these uh, lit these lit up roses and I just thought they were amazing. And I had this thought that like Gio's house should have a field of them because that would be his garden in effect because he only goes out at night. But also there was something so um, extravagant and beautiful, but also sort of tacky 
um, and incredibly yeah. expensive that just sort of summed up that wealth of LA, a wealth of anywhere, really, you know, where they have so much. Um, so we... A vampire wouldn't be able to see flowers in the, in the daylight. Yeah, exactly. So I... You know, this is one of those times where, you know, this is the benefit of having a bigger budget is that I said, I really, really want this and um, uh, and and got it. But that was the first time I ever heard of COVID because they came from China. And because of COVID, we could only get uh, like about 10% of what we'd ordered. So at that point, that was the problem with COVID. It was like fucking ruining our... <laughs> I like Slowing things down. But um, so when they came onto set, you know, and we stretched them out, they were, it looked absolutely awful. It was like a few strings of lights and then the drone blew them so that it was just this oh, complete no. mess. So I was looking at it going, this is just a desert. I mean, it looks absolutely terrible. Um, so we knew like then and there, okay, we're going to have to use VFX to enhance all this. So uh, so it's basically like, yeah, 10% of them are, are practical and the rest of it is VFX. It looks fantastic. It really does. It was one of those when I first watched it. Um, that was one of the visuals where I went, oh, this is so competent and uh, so bold. Uh, I, I thought it was really, really striking. I loved it. How do you decide what's going to be in slow motion and what's going to be normal speed? Is it just a vibe you get? You just think, I want to extend this moment. This feels like it is a moment or, or what's the thinking behind that? It, and who decides that? Is it is it yourself or your DP, like uh, Eben Bolter, isn't it? Yeah, Eben. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I guess it's me because it's part of the. It's very. It's tied to. The, the Eben said it was him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't let Eben speak on sets. So it couldn't have been him. Um, he just has to point the camera. No, uh, uh, I, I mean on the whole, like I think it's you know because it's it's such a big stylistic choice. It, it's really it's it's what's planned beforehand. I don't I, you know we don't do it in post. We don't sort of then slow down. We like we shoot it at the frame rate that it wants to be, you know. So you have to think about it when you're actually shooting. And there's just mm-hmm. moments where it just feels absolutely natural that you want, you know, especially a film that's so sort of stylized as this. It's like you just know those that the the girls walking out the house wants to be a big over the top slow motion, you know, moment because that's how Benny experiences it, you know. Mm. So it's really trying to get inside that, Adam. Really, and this is not just blowing sunshine up your ass because you're on the podcast and we're recording this. Every single shot, every mm-hmm. single composition is just beautiful. It really is. It just looks great. Thank you. I, I wanted to ask about the shooting in the cars uh, stuff, right? Because because so often you see films, you know, when they're they're faking it, when they're, you know, you, you have either rear projection or mm-hmm. I don't know how to do it in the background. Did you pull any of that, those stunts or those tricks in this film? Because so far I haven't spotted yeah, any we did. fake car shooting. <laughs> did- we, we, we had to. We we didn't have a choice um, because you just, it, it would take so much longer to shoot without that. And shooting it in LA is really difficult. Um, and there's all these different jurisdictions, you know, West Hollywood to Beverly Hills to you get all different permissions. It's a lot of traffic. So, um, you know, we'd need a much bigger budget to have been. I really, really wanted to shoot it all like that, but also because we were shooting so much in New Orleans. So there's we did about three days on stage with, in effect, like a kind wow. of uh, a, a more modern version of rear projection, you know, where yeah. uh, they sort of move to the camera, you know, Um so, which is a slow process. It was, that was the first thing we shot in COVID actually. So in a way it was wow. quite a good way of dealing with that. 
um, I think shooting the car and but some of that stuff like them driving through Hollywood, you know, that's obviously we shot in Hollywood. We did, we shot, we you know we put the camera on the car for some of the stuff in downtown LA, and um, mm-hmm. so I tried to shoot as much of it as possible practically, and then the dialogue scenes. Would you have uh, digitally enhanced any of those sort of like uh, landscape shots of of LA, like to add cars or remove cars or? pedestrians or is it just no I, what you see is what you get yeah i wanted to when they were driving down Hollywood. again first of all because of covid but also because it was two in the morning i really wanted it to feel like it was oh, busy and alive so i said you know we should put in cars we should i mean there's a limit to the budget which is you know yeah, and yeah. if it was 150 million 100 million film, then you know i'm sure the only things we do is when you see downtown in the background, when you're at the Perez house, we needed to enhance that because the smog was so bad, you couldn't actually see anything. So the whole, this incredible location, this amazing view, you couldn't actually see anything. Um, so well, that needed help. There are certain things that I have a, a sort of a kink for in films. One of them is Christmas uh, lights. I love Christmas lights in films. Right. But the other one are um, police siren lights. I just think they always enhance the scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you can have like the red and blue of a, a black and white car flashing, mm-hmm. it's like suddenly there's so much more production value on screen. And I really like this scene because this is where things kick up a gear. This is the moment where, and also you, I felt the when I was watching it, you feel the threat of, inherently the threat of a police car uh, flashing its lights yeah. and him being a black character. And that, and oh, he's got blood in his face, and he's in this fancy car, and he's a black character, and you've just this police car. He's Latino, isn't he? Uh, yeah, well, he's mixed race. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but definitely, I mean, this, the sad thing is, yeah, you, you're relying on that. I mean, that's the in terms of the story, that's what everybody knows when watching it. It's the sad truth of you know, and this, you know, I mean, actually, when we shot this in 2020 it was never more prevalent in terms of in the public eye you know um mm. the black lives matter and uh but but absolutely i mean that that is the tension at this point there are no monsters there's no you know it's just the fact that he's you know bluffing his way into a position of yeah, authority that yeah. he doesn't have this is a gorgeous location was this in new orleans this is in new orleans yeah uh this is the roosevelt hotel it's just sort of a beautiful thing we had to shoot this in this whole bit in about an hour and a half. Um, it was unbelievably <laughs> quick. Really? We went in and they said, you have two hours. So we were like, fine. And then after about an hour and 15 minutes, they said, you know what? We've had enough. You need to go. Um, oh, God. And it's one of those moments where that's when like the, having done a lot of short films and independent stuff, that all kicks in because the producers are like, okay, we got to just wrap this up. And it's like, no, we're going to get the exact shots we came in to get. And you just yeah. move so fast and shoot in a way that's such a hustle. Um, mm. So you don't, you didn't do the, the close-ups. You just went, okay, we're dumping any of the close-ups of the ring or, you know, that, those sort of just went for three angles. Is that what you did in No, this? I mean, we started off and we did the tracking shots and stuff. It was actually around the coverage of their conversation where it's like, okay, just get it in a medium and then we got to go. And it's like, no, we, I, I need to shoot this properly because... That's yeah. where you need a fantastic day player or somebody that can come in and just nail it. She's brilliant. <laughs> she is brilliant mm. in this, I think. Is she American actress? Yeah. Oh, okay. And I think um, day players, the sort of the, uh, the the bit part actors can make or break a film. I, I totally agree. It's it's really tricky because, you know, getting great actors to come in when it's only, that it's a small part, you know, they're only doing a day or half a day. 
uh, and you know, searching for them, they, they always tend to be local. So, you know, New Orleans or Atlanta, um, I, I think, you know, they're fantastic. Is this a location as well? You didn't build This is a build. From this moment on, it looks fake. Kevin, you say. I was going to say, oh, it looks I love the wallpaper. I think it's. Yeah. No, it's a gorgeous film. No, he's really, he's really gone down the rabbit hole. What was your most stressful day on set or night on set? Because this was probably been all nights, wouldn't it? Well, this was uh, all stage. This was in the day. A lot of it was nights. I didn't mind that at all. That was all fine. The, the most stressful stuff, without a doubt, was um, Victor's house. All the stuff at the end. Um, because, I mean, we can talk about that when we get to it. <laughs> but it was yeah. it was stressful for a lot of different reasons. Um so, but on the whole, I, I sort of the stress of making a film is is absolutely fine. It's the stress of not making a film that's difficult. To, to and now we've just discovered that these two girls are vampires. Did she do a lot of upper body training to be able to lift, hold them off the ground like that? Like she's so strong. <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been an idiot. <laughs> I just pretend. I just pretend that she did do. She's that. Australian, isn't she? <laughs> she is Australian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So she would be able to do this because they're all hard bastards in Australia. <laughs> what did I tell you? I knew this little shit could. What we tried to do with this, and I don't know if it comes across, is that the sign outside the hotel is this blue neon sign, and the idea is that that blue neon is coming through a kind of window, which is why this room is blue. But I'm not sure that that fully sells and it just, it's just blue. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have gotten I don't think that. anyone goes, why is a room blue? But that was the, that was the reason for it. No, I, I just thought it was a, a production design choice. A blue room. This was a hard, a hard scene to shoot. Like actually Victor's house in the way that it's just a box. There's nothing that it's just a, a room, you know, an empty room basically. So blocking it is much more difficult. Shooting it is much more difficult because it's there's there's nowhere to sort of go. There's nothing to interact with. So it ends up being really tricky. Um, Do you well, ever lose sight of eyelines? Do you ever sort of have a moment and you think, oh Christ, we didn't. That's not going to cut together. Does that ever happen? There's always, for whatever reason some debate on set about which way the actor should be looking. Like there's always a disagreement between, usually between the DP and the script supervisor. You know, there's always, yeah. or, 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 or sometimes it's more like the script supervisor says, that's not the right eye line. And then we say, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like it's going to be fine because we've established where they are in the room, but it's the script supervisor's yeah. job to say, yes, but it, it's not correct. And it's just whether you care or not, because a lot of times, once you know, there's two people, you know, it's fine. But uh, it's amazing because I only ever discovered who a script supervisor a supervisor was on my first feature when I when I was saw them sitting beside the director at the monitor and they were just sitting there with the script and just making notes constantly yeah. and just whispering it into directors and I went oh they're making sure everything matches oh wow this is a really important job yeah it's, amazing. Uh, it's incredibly important and they're making sure everything matches they're communicating to the editor so when the editor gets the dailies in they they know you know they're just writing down you know if if a take everyone thinks it takes great 
they you know mm. they jot that down they make a note of us. uh they yeah. help the actors if the actors have forgotten exactly what they did three hours earlier when they picked up a mug of coffee you know they can help with that they're sort of yeah. integral um and again i didn't really know it's not like a sexy job when you're a teenager going a script supervisor you know but actually it's such a a, a, a huge part of the process and they're like the heart of the team you know on set they're in the sort of they bubble. would be you know what you know what? I just had an idea. They would make great detectives. So if you were to set a murder mystery on a film set, they're the person who's like the Hercule Poirot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're remembering everything. They're watching everything. Yeah. And it's amazing. They kill these two guys, all right? So, and what made you cast Sean Spicer for this part? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's a deep cut, Kevin. <laughs> Dating the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, this this must have felt quite heavy at the time when you were shooting. I love this turn. Yeah, and actually, you know, it, it goes on this. We we cut it down, but you know, he puts the gun to his head and he's screaming at him. And and in the original cut, this went on, and it really gets. It's like the most dramatic. It's incredible performance from George, but it just felt like we were in a different movie all of a sudden, and we had to sort of pull it back. Oh, wow, because yeah, it, all of a sudden this threat becomes almost overwhelms the threat of uh, of the police officer, almost overwhelms the vampire threat, yeah. Yeah, and it's you almost can't watch it because it's so brutal and, uh, you know, sadly truthful. And it's like, but then two vampires walk out and it's like, what is this? Am I supposed to be taking this really seriously? Or is this about, you know, vampires? And So it's that tonal thing, you know. And that's so, it's so important, is that tone. that Again, the importance of being in the editing. Who's the editor on this? Uh, Dominic Laperriere. Oh, okay. So that's so. Are you are you are you sitting in on the edits with them and just trying to massage the the, the scenes? Yeah, Is that for, how, I mean, for, went for months and months and months. I mean, actually, how many cuts did you do? I mean, this was a long edit process. I mean, I, I don't even. I mean, I don't even know. It felt like a, a thousand, but there was definitely you know. <laughs> 20, 30 cuts. I don't know. But then there's like the revisions of each cut. So, uh, but uh, I did it all remotely with him. I mean, he was in, again, because of the pandemic, you know, I moved back to the UK. He moved to Northern California. So uh, he was getting up and starting at 7am and I was working till sort of 1, 2am so that we could do these, uh, so that we could work together. Um, So it's very different from sitting in a room together, but it worked reasonably well. Um, so is he, are you seeing a screen share? Is that what yeah, you're, exactly, you're seeing? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You said everything's immediate, so it was similar. But they, you do, obviously, like with anything, because there's something about being in the room with someone where just going for lunch and then you start chatting about an idea, you, you sort of miss out on those sort of things. But in a way, you make more of your days because you don't banter. You don't go in and talk yeah. about things. You just sort of get on with it because you're just in front of the screen. Was this his introduction in the script originally, what we just saw right there with Alfie Allen? Yes, it was because I remember seeing a cut of this film before the the final um, edit, and that was how it opened. It opened with him tracking in on the back of his head and him uh, pouring himself a glass of blood. Yeah, one of the big things with the edit was trying to figure out how to open the film. I mean, you have how it opens in the script, but then it you know it didn't feel you know as strong as we hoped. So then we I tried. Think that was my note. <laughs> so we tried lots of different things, and one of the things was starting with this you start literally start with that shot of victor opening his eyes and driving down and finding 
Jay, which is, I think, I think, not- I think you got it right. I think the, the stat that you have right now is, is great. I think, you know, it's what's needed to ex- sort of ex- explain the world. I love the idea mm-hmm. of coming in with the hunter. You know, it was a fun. That was a great shot there. Whipping down the streets and then turning the corner and going straight into a close-up mm-hmm. of George. Yeah. So this shot speeding towards the car, you know, that uh, is, um, we shot in reverse. It's the only way to do it. So it's actually pull, oh, pulling away oh. from Benny, uh, you know, and then we reversed it. This was again one of those shots that you, you know, I was just on, you know, we were we were scouting and and just sort of thought of it. And it's one of those things you think I'm just going to say it, and everyone's going to get really annoyed because it's so outlandish and going to be so difficult. We have to shut down the street, um, and then clever clever <laughs> people go, oh, we could do it like this, and then you go, great, you know, and they figure Brilliant. it out. How much of the the look of this film is down to the lighting or the the post-production process where you can tweak it? Uh, I'd say most of it is the lighting. You know, uh, Eben, we discussed the colours so much. Like a year before we started, we were going through colour schemes and things. That's what Eben said, yeah. (laughs) And, you know, so much of it's practical lighting. So it's that's how it looks. You, 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 You actually see a lot of the lights in the shop. You know, they're just in fridges or the lampposts and things. And then the and then the post-production process just sort of enhances that. And this girl here is Sydney Sweeney, is it? Sydney Sweeney, yeah. She's great as well. She's brilliant. I wish she was in it longer. That was a huge thing, the reaction to the film. I think because they're such big stars, these two, that there was a lot of mm. like, that's it. <laughs> you know, They're gone. Like they're in it for three and a half minutes. Uh, there's a lot of people that are quite pissed off about that. I thought the trailer... Sh- and who's who's this one? <laughs> yeah, nobody knows the, the other actor. <laughs> I thought the trailer showed that they were, it was a very brief cameo because there is, what I think, one shot of them in the trailer. But I think people really wanted to see more of them. And that's what you hope, that you enjoy them, that you want to see more of them. Give me one reason why I shouldn't call Martin right now. Of was it always written to be this uh, sort of drop in, drop out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, originally, you know, this was a scene I came up with with the writer uh, a little way down the process to open up the world. And originally, it was supposed to be more like um, somewhere between Beverly Hills Housewives and kind of mafia wives, you know, uh, a little bit more Sopranos, <laughs> you know. And then as it sort of evolved, they became more glamorous and younger. Is that Brent Dillon, the writer? Yeah. yeah, just want to get his name out there because writers get erased. Well, I'm glad you did. I know you've never trusted me, never given me any real power. Also, the, the, the costuming of all these characters, they're so glamorous. Mm-hmm. and It's like those details, like she's wearing a jacket or a cape that looks like the night sky. Yeah. She said that that was the best costume she's ever had, never worn in a movie. She wow. went into the fitting and just said, this is, I really want to wear this. I really, really want to wear this. And she tried different things in this, you know, again, because it was sort of more remote. So I was sent images, you know. Look at that. Uh, hang on a second. Didn't you say that this is some famous producer's house? No, this is a uh, a, a Taiwanese billionaire's house. Um, it's oh, his, wow. It's his L.A pad but it's not he's actually also owns the next door house this house was 55 million dollars it's you only see the top level there's also three floors underneath there's a a, a garage with a bar what would be the deposit on that (laughs) uh but i mean and then he has next door and apparently he's only there two weeks of the year 
So, jeez, um, oh my it's god, absolutely insane. Absolutely, yeah. Insane. But is he happy? <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I don't think you so, t- Kevin. Not as happy as you. It, it's funny you were talking about blocking. I'm, I know I'm, I'm aware of it. You're from that boxy room to this location. You have so much more opportunity and uh, potential. To this is a dialogue scene, so obviously it's a, there's a challenge when visualizing this how to make it look interesting. Yeah, and you just have so much more opportunity with this location. Exactly, the, it's so much fun blocking this out. What it does is it makes it more. It takes a lot longer to shoot this, and we have one night to shoot this, and you have literally till the sun comes up because that's you, you can't hide anywhere. And we shot literally till the sun came up, um, and because I split it across three locations in this house. It, you know, it became a fight to get it all shot in time. Can I ask a dumb question? One of many, you may say. Um, are they wearing vampire teeth or did you do that in post? They were wearing vampire teeth. Uh, well, some of them were wearing, Blair and Zoe were wearing vampire teeth for um, throughout. There were two sizes of vampire teeth, like subtly different. In, when we got to LA, they weren't allowed to because of COVID, so they were put in and post. Oh. And then the day players um, and some other, you know, they didn't, they were all post, like Megan, and because actually to fit them and to get them in, and also because a lot of that was shot in LA. So it's a mixture. Wow. Uh, but the idea with their teeth was, which is a part of the mythology that, uh, you know, no one ex- explains, but was that the idea I had was that the, the older the vampire, the longer the teeth. So Blair's teeth are are really very small because she's so young and Zoe's a little bit older and then Victor's a bit older. And then you get to to Megan and she's much older than the others. So it depends on the age. That's why you can actually, she's got her teeth in from the first scene. You just don't spot them. You mean older and vampire? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a cool idea. Uh, yeah, and I had like uh, you know these thoughts of like the, the, the there's guys out and sort of living in the mountains who are two thousand years old with these long gangly, <laughs> disgusting like saber tooth yeah, vampires. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sequel. <laughs> <sighs> I just love all the the sort of the playing with reflections and all the images are so dense. There's always something. Yeah, and a lot of this is like you find, you know, the location because we knew what we wanted. And then you find this incredible diner, which is in New Orleans. So all of that is already there. And actually there was a car parked outside. And when I scouted it for the first time, I looked at the car and saw this reflection in it and thought like, that's going to just be part of the shot. That's it. Like you don't even really need to do anything. And then Eben comes in and enhances it all, you know, uh, and adds lights to different areas. That's what he said. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite thing about this is that is the Ninja Turtles on the wall where Zoe's on her phone. I absolutely love them. <laughs> we were that generation. Yeah, yeah. Was there any difficulty to everybody starting back up again after? Did you say it was a five month break? Uh, five, yeah, five, five and a half months. Not as much was as. Like the actors slipping back into even their costumes? Like, could they fit into them? Because <laughs> let's be honest. We all put on <laughs> pandemic weight. Yeah, actors are different though, aren't they? They take better care of themselves than I certainly <laughs> did. Uh, it was actually, we did like three days rehearsal to get everybody back into it. And I've been talking to them throughout the process, so throughout the, the break. So it was it was much easier than I thought. And actually shooting with masks and social distancing and all that stuff was also much easier than it seemed. You know, you just get, and it's like we all know about, and it, it, you just get used to it and you just adapt very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you did, Rehearsals? Did you do rehearsals before you actually started 
the the initial shoot? Uh, more like I, I, I'd sat with each actor and talked through everything with them and built out sort of backstory and worked on the dialogue and things that they didn't like and things that they did like and then they'd all spend time together and discuss it we'd only rehearse certain sequences things like victor's house because i knew that they were going to be really problematic but on the whole not huge amount also because we were in new orleans you know a, a lot of them were in la or george's in miami or you know alfie's in london so it's it's not that easy to get everyone much earlier would you prefer to do more rehearsals in the future or do you think it's better to um to discover it on the day or yeah, so what's your sort probably of probably depends on the on the project i find the most useful thing just sitting and talking through the script um you know ideally with the writer and we i asked that brent could be there so that he can talk to them as well but also then we can rework the script because suddenly the characters are different you know they just take it in a different way um and so i really wanted to him to be there to be able to change it and work on it and you know and so we talked through everything and and we'd work out backstories particularly some of you know are different than others like lucy who plays zoe we worked out a whole backstory her whole history you know she gets really really deep into it um so it's, you sort of work with the actors depending on you know how they want to work that was a great scene between uh george and debbie they've got great chemistry mm-hmm. together little thing about that scene was that we shot that in New Orleans and then we added the whole midsection um, about a year later. Uh, this wow. wasn't even the LA shoot. This was deep into the edit when we realised there was a little bit of information that wasn't clear. So we got them. I had to direct it remotely from the UK, which was the, an awful thing to do. <laughs> you know, uh, it's oh, really wow. difficult to give direction when you don't know if anyone can even hear you. It was really tricky, but we had to do it. Um so did you discover that mural with the turtles or did you discover get that. somebody to put that under? That. Oh, wow. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. It's great. So when you're directing remotely, how are you, again, what are you watching on your end? Are you watching at the feed of the camera or is there like, you know, another camera just looking at the set? No, I'm watching the feed of the camera seeing? and then I'm on Zoom. But I was living in a place at that point that had really bad internet. So it was just oh, like, God. Hey, it's so painful uh, it, it was it's just a very very difficult thing to do you can give the direction but it's just it's a very different way of working you can't react immediately a lot of direction is just you know you realize it's just through looks it's just the actor coming over and you just sort of mm. or it's or it's sort of chat when you're just chatting about nothing important but you're making them feel comfortable and it's a, a smile yeah. it's whatever you can't do any of that so yeah uh, the great thing about those illuminated roses is that it immediately just reminds you, it orientates you in the story and you know mm-hmm. exactly where you are again. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going back to this location. So in this, this uh, Geo's living room, there's a poster on the wall for a movie that he made that I made up called The Proxy. That is a movie that I really <laughs> want to make, which is a 70s spy thriller. And all the credits on it are based on things. Not that anybody sees it, but it's actually in my house. And like the music's by my teenage band. You know, my wife's in it. Oh, wow. It's written by my best mate. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I see That's it. it there. Yeah, 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 that's so cool. Now, that's a prop you want to keep. Those are the things that, yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. What props did you keep from the film? Uh, well, they gave me a copy. The house? <laughs> they gave me a copy, uh, but, but very little. Uh, very little, basically. I think, they, you know, they wanted to keep hold of, I think, you know, potentially if there's sequels, but also they just have a huge warehouse of all their props from all their films some of them they will you know they have on display 
I don't know if they have any of these on display at the moment, but when you go into their offices, Netflix, they have like cabinets with certain props on display and stuff and things like Jay's gun and the coins and everything. They're just all so beautifully mm. designed. This is, what's his face from Sopranos, isn't it? Not Sopranos. From, from, he's from Mad, Mad Men. Men. Yeah. Sorry. So he, he lives in New Orleans. He's a, we'll he's cut that out. John Hamm? <laughs> <laughs> So, and why you see your veiny? Like, what's the... Uh, the the idea with this is that that's the first thing that happens when they're when they're dying is that they their veins okay. will come to the surface and then they start to sort of you know. So is that a CG effect or is that something you can do practically on the day to mess? That up? is, I mean, you pro- probably could, but that is a CG effect. Um, oh wow! This was actually as Brian's birthday, and he was really ill, and it was absolutely freezing outside. <laughs> this is what was. This is my favorite sequence in the film. This sequence right here. Yes, this is a great scene. It's just so playful and stylish and fun. We're at the. It's a kind of a Seven Eleven diner, isn't? Yeah. that what you, you'd call yeah. it. Yeah. So this is a diner, scene diner, that was. I mean, this was in. Brent's original script, you know, so much changes through the development process and with studio notes and with my notes and with, but this is a scene that, I mean, it changed a bit, but really the essence of it is what Brent wrote. Um, How does Brent feel about the film? He loves it. I mean, he tells me he loves it, oh, good. Uh, but he really loves it. I think, you know, he would like it to have been a bit bloodier. And I mean, he's got his sensibility is a bit more sort of like, you know, bloody and dark, and, and like, which is in a way more, more mine, but the film, typical writer. Yeah. The film got a bit sort of younger, I guess, as through the process and as it got bigger. Um, but he's really, really happy with it. Um, I want to ask about how you shot the scene, the, the kind of the lens choice in this, because normally in these 7-Eleven um, places, they always feel quite close and claustrophobic and tight. And it's the opposite. The feeling is opposite in this. Where there's a lot of volume. And that very, there was a wide shot you had where, you know, it's above the, like, kind of like this example here. It feels like there's a lot of volume in this, in, in the, in the space. So was that a very conscious decision? De- definitely. I mean, a huge part of this is just finding the right location. This was a really difficult one because I knew that I wanted it to be really open. Um, because so many of these are closed in, they're so difficult to shoot. So I knew I wanted to be really open, which involved like moving things out of there, but also finding the right location. But also the floor really helps, that sort of checkerboard floor. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then that particular shot where you come up high and it's tracking was actually, so you, you know, shot list everything and then, sh- you know, shooting it, suddenly realised I really want a wide shot that's up high, that's tracking along, you know. Uh. So that's quickly like, go and tell the DP, we really, I really think we need this. And then he'd go and tell his guys. And then they said, you know, and that's one of those ones that just happens in the moment. Um, like, like, I mean, the dancing, I think actually was the, about a couple of days before I was listening to music, imagining the scene and just started to think of Zoe dancing with him. And did you do some dancing mm. to prepare? Uh, I danced in front of them. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't, but it was a very specific song. That I can't remember now that I played them. That was really fun that I played on set. I mean, she just loved, love that idea you know she just loves for zoe to be that sort of young childlike playful element of zoe so that then when she turns it's, it's such a huge turn in it what is wrong with you can't be alive for 200 years and not go a little crazy i was going to ask you um you said that the film got younger as you went along and the budget increased yeah um but you've got a moment where debbie ryan is smoking in the car and uh usually that's an issue for yeah i mean originally in the script to have zoe almost never stopped smoking but it, you can't have smoking like netflix doesn't yeah. allow it, apart from if it's for the purpose of the story like it's it's a plot point what a lovely shot. and she needed to smoke weed 
because obviously he gets really high. So, the, you know, that mm. was something that we had to have. Again, that shot that we just saw there with the car, with the, the, the camera twirls upside down. And- yeah, so all that was shot actually in downtown LA over one night. And then once we get to the club, we're in New Orleans again. It's very much like the director is insisting that you notice him. <laughs> yeah, that's my number one priority, really. I ask that my credit just pops up every now and then. But <laughs> Were you ever tempted to do a Hitchcock cameo? Or are you in there? Are you, are you in a shot? No, I'm not. I'm not in there. I, I, like, in a way, like it would be fun, but it's almost like you're just too busy to like suddenly go, I, oh, I need to go uh, and put on see, a costume and do, yeah. deal with that. You could have just said there that you were one of the shirtless guys that uh, is in the blue room. And yeah. <laughs> no one would have questioned it. So this whole sequence, had we planned to shoot this in LA, we never we would have had to have cut this whole scene because you cannot shoot this in COVID. I mean, maybe you can now that they figured things out, but at that point... Because they're breathing all, on each other? No, I mean, once we get to the whole club sequence, I mean, you know, once we... Just the amount of oh, background, yeah. the amount of people around. I mean, we were... And this was all happening when the rest of the world was locking. I mean, I don't know how we didn't... Unless we did all get it and didn't realise, but, um, you know, we were just in a packed club full of people, you know, 400 people. Wow. It really has messed things up with COVID. And I, yeah, I've heard big productions that are going on and, you know, most of them have gotten COVID or have had COVID. But I suppose you had to just, there was constant testing going on. I assume that's, that's what you were yeah, doing to Yeah, testing three times a, a week. And that's why it's so much more difficult for indie films because the, the cost of it, you know, the studios can sort of hoover that cost up to some extent. But when it's mm-hmm. a small film, it's, you know, it's so much more difficult. You never had to do a Tom Cruise rant uh, at some of the crew. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, oh, no. My God, Unfortunately the, not. the entire movie industry is on my shoulders right now, man. <laughs> the whole of Netflix could shut down. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like to release a film with Netflix? Do you get that same buzz of the build-up and the release and the, the, the responses? I mean... It, is it a very different thing? It's very, not that I've ha- I have never had. I mean, you know, I, Level Up and ICU were theatrical, but they were small, so you didn't get... I didn't, I've never had something releasing on cinemas everywhere and doing huge press tours and whatever. So I, I, I don't know, I couldn't compare it to that. It certainly is immediate in that immediately millions of people are watching the film and then you can see the feedback straight away you know, uh, which mm. is incredible. And and it's so much like, you know, Netflix is, is particularly a film for, for a younger audience. It's, it's, you know, it's so much a part of their world. I guess theatrically, it's much more nerve-wracking because nobody can go and see it. <laughs> you know, you just publicly, like The Last Jewel, right? Amazing film where everyone, yeah. the whole story with it is nobody saw it, you know, and it must be so annoying for them to be like, yeah, but it's good. Like, that's what you should be talking about. Not that nobody saw it. Or, um, so... Who- who chose the music for the club where they're singing about big titties? Uh, so the, my initial track for this club was a much darker, stranger tune. Um, I mean, this is actually, you know, talking about the music for a minute. This is the first film in which uh, every other film, every single track is just a track that I said, this is the track I want, you know, because this is a bigger film okay. and because it was for a younger audience. A lot of it is the tracks that I wanted, ones that they felt like, were more because I'm a 40-year-old bloke from London, you know, and might not appeal to 15. They're like, uh, you know, then it became a conversation about, okay, or what's... Dive in pussy head first. <laughs> yeah. 
then it became a conversation for a younger about, audience yeah, you know it's like what is the version that you know i'm happy with and also is going to do what they needed to do so then the music supervisor rob you know provides hundreds and hundreds of tracks and you listen through them all and find the thing that works the best you know do you feel self-conscious when you're on set and you've got that many extras around and you everyone is sort of looking around and thinking which one's the director oh it's that dude and then you're the one that's like calling the shots. Do you feel like any sort of um, performance anxiety or, or self-consciousness or no? No, can't. Oh, God. <laughs> that's the difference between writers and directors. I'd be there going like, oh my God, everybody knows I, I'm faking it. I, I, you know, I feel performance anxiety if I'm going in to pitch something, you know, and like that sort of thing is a different thing. But at once, once I'm actually shooting, then I feel... Fine, you know, just the thrill and the Another adrenaline. Another great of it. location. Mm. So this is uh, a this this VIP room is a um a build. And the, oh. right, so you chose to put those uh, projections on the scene. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was a huge part of it. We wanted to do something that uh, was sort of surreal, that tapped into where he was at, but also just gave it something really interesting visually. And initially, it was just we were going to have like a light box, which is what it is. And then we started to say, well, what if the the image actually moved? So that's all. Pra- none of that's VFX, it's all practical. Wow, it looks great. Um, talking about the music again for a second. So, is there any? Are, are there any? Is there any original music uh, for this film? Was there any original music composed for this film? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, just thinking, yeah, a huge amount. Actually, yeah. that's uh, what. So yeah, yeah, because I was just listening to it there, and I just went. There's a vibe to the music that I'm hearing that is that reminded me of films like After Hours because I know you're a big fan of After yeah. Hours and that kind of. It's a lovely, you know, the, there's a great sense to that music that kind of captures that quality. There's a, hu- um, a huge amount, a huge amount of work they did. I mean, unbelievable. There's almost very little time without music there's a lot of tracks but there's a huge amount of score uh, this particular track and this this is actually a, a, a track by an electronic artist called Sunderark, who are these two guys british guys who very very sort of s- small following because they're, they're part of a jazz trio and they released an electronic album i just really like the jazz trio and then heard that and this was always the track for that vip room like i played it on mm-hmm. set we did the rehearsals of how we were going to do the the fight scene to it um you know we cut to it and i always was really excited about when they got to see it that they got to see because the, a lot of these bigger artists you know they see their music and commercials and stuff it's, but i thought like for these guys like how cool <laughs> you know these couple of british brothers you know to have their track you know in, in a relatively big film i thought it's really nice isn't it uh, for me anyway? This is very, this is very interesting. That I think music is a, 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 a such an important element of conveying tone and containing tone and hearing that you played even played music on on set that that helps keep everyone in the same frame of mind. And even as a writer, I know myself, I would compose not compose, but I would kind of find myself in different playlists to try and you know yeah. conv- get my head in the space of to to of a scene that I'm particular scene I'm writing or whatever it is um and music is so vital it is so vital one of the first things i do with any project is f- sort of find the music make a playlist and then share it with the people i'm going to collaborate with oh um, great great but also just like find out i can just tap straight into the film by listening to it yeah. i love this sequence this is cool yeah this is my favorite sequence of the film, i've got to say like this is the one that i it's all right <laughs> yeah but this is the one of the few sequences in which you imagine it and it's exactly as you wanted it to be you know Class. um it, it, like, I, it wasn't in it wasn't a sort of anything in the script it was just a moment that sort of I imagined 
I imagine with the you know found the music and it's just exactly that. Everything else sort of on the whole changes, you know, for good or bad. But this was one that he's crossed the Rubicon here. Uh huh. And you're very much in his point of view. That's I think films are always so uh, scenes are always so the much mid act climax. The mid act climax. Where are we? Where are we? Mid act climax. Right there at the halfway point. There we go. It is. And but you know, it's a very. I think when a scene knows what point of view it's the story's being told from. In this case, Benny's. You're seeing it from his perspective. Um, you know, it's it's just stronger storytelling. It's visually more interesting. It made and, uh, it made everybody very very nervous. Very nervous. Like, really? Because Why? you're you're doing the one of the action sequences with the action out of focus in the background. We had our actual ah, actors, no. Lucy and Debbie, doing the stunts, and yet they're out of focus. You know, it's like everything wrong. Everything you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to if you if you're act if your stars are fighting, then you want to be up close. You want to have coverage. You want to. And we shot the whole thing on Benny with them out of focus with no coverage at all. You know, so it, how many extras did you have here? Uh, it's about four hundred, well, and it was Jesus. nowhere near enough. <laughs> Basically, wow, it really wasn't like you go a big wide. It's it was really we have to like throw you know because a lot of it was these longer takes. We'd have to have people sort of running around the back of the camera so that it felt like busier than it was. Can I ask, Grace? This is a is it as I've been on set when you're supposed to be faking stuff, and is it and a nightclub scene? Is it as embarrassing as I imagine it is, where people are just kind of like pretend dancing, or did you actually no, play I, music? I, I played music. Oh, cool. Uh, okay, because great. it just felt like that. Like it would be such. Not only would it be, is it embarrassing? Those scenes always just look terrible. But the vibe yeah. is better because then they're actually partying. You know. Um, yeah. Although, although actually, like uh, uh, one of the first things that happened this one uh young woman pulled a knife on another <laughs> like there was some beef and like that was the very first thing like like in a genuine the club like you know like, really like genuine trouble <laughs> yeah but oh they were incredible God. like we were there in that you know they were in there for like 11 hours or something and they were still dancing and going for it yeah oh my god brilliant <laughs> <laughs> so we've just seen our first vampire ashed mm-hmm. He was a contortionist, that guy. So he could bend in all sorts of ways. Wow. When you get the script right and you think, okay, I'm going to do a vampire movie and there have been uh, at least 20 or 30 great, great, great vampire movies. Do you, do you think of your own approach to this in reaction to them? Or is it just, uh, is it just, yeah, don't mess with the classics? I think you sort of think what what like what do you want to do or like what fits the story and it felt like this should be like as grounded as possible and removing a lot of the supernatural elements of the vampires. It's like I've never seen this before and I love this this trace of fire with these crossbows. Yeah, that was something that uh, we thought of in the edit, which was really like the impact of these crossbows wasn't we weren't really feeling them. It felt like because we so good, you know, again like with a much bigger budget film, you would have had. These streets would have been packed. You would have had dozens of these guys firing, but we had three in relatively empty streets. So it needed eye candy. It needed filling. It needed something else yeah. to it. And so came up with this idea of these trails, which really helped. And there's a question I want to ask you because um, you had a, a quick shot from the rear of the car um, that kind of yeah. like was that felt like it was locked onto the car. How do you pull that? Is there yeah. so, is there a kind of a rig that's attached to the car? How do you pull that up? There's a rig. Yeah, exactly. We okay. had the most incredible grip and he just, we just say like the shot where she's hanging out the car and the camera's stuck mm-hmm. to the side. That was the first shot 
of this whole sequence. This sequence, again, wasn't actually in the script. It was mm. just something that was added because it felt like a really fun moment. And I wanted to see like what happened when they tried to escape and to give it more action. And, and really that was the shot that was imagined. So then you say to the grip, this hmm. is what I want to do. And, and he just has all, he's just got this van full of toys and he's, you know, Oh, took wow. him 15 minutes to See, set Eben told me that he had roller skates and uh, <laughs> you it took him ages. <laughs> so when is the Eben, Kevin and Ed, Eben audio commentary coming out, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. All I'm asking... Again, this location is class even at night. This location is in May. You know, you think the front door, you open your front door and that's the view. It's like you it's can amazing. spend... 50 million on a house in Beverly Hills, but you don't get a view as good as this house. in This no. house is now in New Orleans, um, but the exterior is so matching that. But we needed a house that was really open and that you could shoot in. I mean, we would have... I bet it's noisy there, though. You're hearing that traffic all day long and then the smell of the exhaust fumes. You're right on the freeway, yeah. But a lot of... Yeah. A lot of that's what LA's like, isn't it? There's a lot of freeways running through mm-hmm. the city. Can you please put the bet down? But this oh, house, man. I mean, it was He's such a stud. He's brought back two girls, <laughs> dirty bastard. The art department literally did everything to this house. I mean, they painted every room, put up all paper. Re- I mean, they just completely transformed it, to, you know, to match the Boar Heights feel and style because it's a New Orleans house. You know? Oh, that's the exciting thing on film sets is that you see people execute things that you couldn't possibly do yourself in real life. Yeah. It's just like, how, how did you do it? How did you do that? And how did you do it so quickly? Yeah. And, Paint uh, walls? <laughs> but no, what I'm saying is when they can transform, they do like a makeover in a couple of hours. And uh, oh yeah, you know, that's what I mean. So this car, this car was just, that's how it came. It had homies in the back. It had, you don't really? even see some of it. It's got like bullets where you pushed, where you lock it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it, the, the smell of skunk was so like, it just came, like the seats just stank of skunk. It was just an amazing car. <laughs> <So> skunk <laughs> is a British slang term for uh, marijuana for our American listeners. It's not actual skunks. <laughs> <laughs> so this is fantastic. So where do they source that car? Is this like, uh, where, where did the car come from? Uh, there's, I mean, there's a, like, you know, a, a couple of people who that's what they did, deal with the vehicles and they deal with the cars. And yeah. I, get, I mean, in somewhere like New Orleans, they probably know everyone, but, um, you know, otherwise, yeah. I mean, there's databases and things. I mean, and the guys. It was Eben's car. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to make sure that Eben hears this podcast. <laughs> No, that's the, there's your uh, Sean Spicer. This is the very <laughs> first thing we shot. Um, oh, this scene right now? Yeah. Actually, no, I, I tell you, it was the first scene in the kitchen. And then this was what we shot that night. So all the stuff in this oh, okay. room was what we shot. So we almost shot for three days in this house. And then the first thing we did on the road was when we went to the convenience store. That's when it felt like the circus was, was leaving, you know. So good. When when you start off a film, uh, because I suppose the actors are professionals and they come in, and uh, but is there? A, I hope so. You wouldn't. What I mean. So where my point is is that do you find? Did you find that there's? It takes actors a, a little bit of time to warm up to a character to get their kind of like you know teeth into it. You know, excuse the pun. Um, or or did you, did you just come in and just you know sing straight from the hymn sheet? You, it, it's definitely always like takes a little time to warm up for everyone and for the crew and for me, you know, I mean, that's the good thing about spending a lot of time beforehand talking through stuff and spending time together that it doesn't feel like it's the first day. It feels like you've already spent time, you know, 
And this is quite a symbolic scene with her cleaning his gash. God. Oh, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but but do you my point Adam right is yeah. not on my point but my other, my sub question is when you're scheduling it or when you're scheduling it do you kind of like would you try and uh, put in a scene that you think would be a nice yeah, uh, scene 100%. for the characters so I started right. with Benny and Abuela in the kitchen something that's sort of relatively light that doesn't have too many of our actors in it you know so uh, and, and tried to start near the beginning of the film. Unfortunately, then I needed to jump to halfway into the film for that scene, so which I didn't want to okay. do at all. But there, but you, ha- I mean, scheduling—you just have to in terms of locations mm-hmm. and cast. So you said you were going to take care. Of- <laughs> That's a great. <laughs> this is the first That's moment we shot good. Lucy. You know, this was the very first thing she did. Ah uh, well, she's really good. She's. I mean, then she just starts like crying in it, and it's like, holy shit, she's, <laughs> she's going to be amazing. She was so good in this. I love the sight gag of the guy climbing out of the boot and just yeah that was a that was just because there's a lot we'd had a a version of them on the phone so it was like well what can we do that's n- not just them on the phone again uh, and then the <laughs> thought of of yeah the guy falling out and crawling along and found this cool location it's like in in Die Hard in the opening where you have an exposition scene between McLean and Argyle in the limo but the way that McTiernan decides well we'll put the teddy bear in the back seat and we'll have that framed as the uh, the passenger, and it's like it just adds a little bit of yeah. visual yeah. Um, interest to the to the moment of two guys just talking exposition. Kevin, I think the early cut that you saw this this sequence was like fifteen minutes long. It was much much longer. <laughs> just him yeah. playing with knives for ages. I thought it was so bad, and so we were going to keep it in, but nah, then we just I'm no. <laughs> Uh, it, yeah, it was it was long. It's just that he's so funny in it. But yeah, it's one of those moments just completely stopped the film. But like three it minutes. undercut his character a little bit. He just came off a little too goofy. Yeah, it was it, to to give you an idea. Well, it was like a montage of him practicing with a knife and oh, dropping okay. it, and and it, it went on. It was fun, but it was like yeah. changes him into a. And slightly changes the tone of the film as well at that, at that stage yeah. later in the game. And tone is, was tricky with this film because there's so many different genres sort of colliding. He's got such a cool bedroom. His bedroom's amazing. So much detail there. Can we just maybe turn this down? No. Yeah, it's great casting. And th- wasn't this sequence or this scene as well quite... Um, it went through some changes. It, it expanded and contracted, and yeah, I mean, every I guess they all do, but yeah, these scenes in particular um, I, I take a lot of work, a lot more in a way than some sort of action scenes, you know, because you're trying to again, it's about point of view and it's about not sort of overdoing it. You know, there's a balance. There's like I guess the sort of English part of me like what always holds back from overtly more emotional or things that I fear are like cheesy, you know, which can, this can easily mm-hmm. fall into. Uh, but then it does need to do certain things, you know, it needs to. So I thought they were absolutely brilliant in the scene, these two. This is so early in the shoot yeah. for them to be so great. And they both feel so sort of awkward and uncomfortable in a, in a very real, like almost that teenage way of, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, but you can tell he's got such an open sort of uh, warm face. He's he's looking at her really, really gooey. Yeah, it's like yeah. you can tell that he's in love with it's her. It's always already. about it's the reaction shot, isn't it? With all these scenes, it's, yeah. it's always the person, the other person. The per- you know, when he says about his 
music and wants to achieve something, her look to him, you know, t- tells you everything, how she's feeling about him, much more than anything she could say. And it's the same with this when he's looking at her. 100%. And the heart of the film and the whole film succeeds because of their two characters and because of their performance. And you care for them. You care for yeah. them somehow managing to get through this night and being together. And if you didn't get the casting right, and if it wasn't written the way it was written as well and the way it was executed, then the film wouldn't work. And I think it does work because because that, this, that through line really succeeds in this film. One of the things that I particularly like about it is that you don't fall into the trope of the girls being like the manic pixie dream girl trope of shaking him up and uh, coming in as these whirling dervishes and being so quirky and so lovable that, um, you know, you've seen it so many times, but they, they're just effortlessly cool and not trying too hard. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very subtle sort of like awakening for him. Yeah. And I just like that. I like that they don't feel like tropes. The bad girls. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, Debbie sort of that's, she is that. Like, she just is cool and smart. Like, you know, she, like, that's just, and she's confident, you know. And he is just a lovable guy. I mean, you know, that you, you lean into what they are. But I completely mm-hmm. agree that it's all about that. These three, if any of them didn't quite work or you didn't enjoy being around, then the whole thing falls apart. And it's an interesting dynamic in that it's two girls and one guy and one of the girls is slightly more cautious and almost jealous of the budding relationship that's forming between one of them. Whereas usually in movies, in a lot of movies that I can recall, it'll be two guys and there'll be a girl that would come in Mm -hmm. and and one of the guys is like losing his best friend to, to his mate falling for the love interest. Yeah. So it's a nice reversal. It's a very good film, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alfie, so this is Alfie's first thing he shot, and he really went for that lamb, um, really went for it. Like he just, because he was hungry, I think. And then by take 40, I was like, you know, it was like, I mean, I felt like I was just watching it, just seeing it. Like he had like meat sweats. <laughs> you know, it really was like <laughs> just uh, unbelievable how much he had to eat. That. And that was his first experience of night tea. I, you know, I, you never think that when people are eating, having a scene where they have to eat, you don't realize that they have to do multiple, might have to do multiple, well, if you multiple watch, takes. When you watch people eating, they normally uh, are just pushing their food around the plate. Like you notice like they spend ages cutting it and then they like put it to their mouth and then they put it down for a minute and you know, they don't actually really eat, but right. he, he really went for it <laughs> first because it was really good. I mean, it was really well good. My favorite thing in films is when somebody orders a drink or orders a, a dinner and they leave before the, the meal arrives. So the scene is just... Yeah, or they light a cigarette and then they put it out. You know, they light it have a, and then they put it out straight away. They deliver their exit line and they get up and they leave. And it's like, wait a second, you haven't even paid for your drink or you haven't even gotten your drink. You're the last piece. Night Teeth. Where did that title come from? That was the title that was always there. And I always thought we were going to change it. Like I Boy, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this title <laughs> needs help. I Boy, even more so, you know, I always regret that we never actually changed that title. But Night Teeth, I always thought we're going to change it, we're going to change it, and we talked about it. And we, I mean, there was never a, 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 an idea or a version that worked really. Oh. 
Ooh. And things stick. So good. Yeah, I love that. This is mm. such a cool Oh, game. my the, God. <laughs> I suppose in this day and age, you need titles that you can, what did I call them? They're SEO. Uh, what is that? I've probably got that wrong, but it's where you can Google something and it will be the first result that comes up. Whereas if you've got a- I think night teeth might, it's probably like night actual teeth that you wear at night if your teeth are falling out. <laughs> By the way, there was on that scene. Okay. Wow. There was a, a whole thing that we shot and was in the edit for a long time, which was that he then rings the bell and the chef brings out a platter and then on the platter it's Andre's head. That he can't. Oh wow! Uh, and then, oh, and then Jay good. goes throughout. It was one too many things. It was like, okay, he's done the. This is Maria, and now it's like, and I've also cut your mate's head off. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was like we need to sort of get on with it now. Let's do this. But like, just to finish what I was going to say, it's like if you had a film that was called Car, and you Googled Car, this would probably be buried under right. a dozen other uh, search results. But Night Teeth. It's like one of those titles where this is going to be the first thing that comes up when you Google that. And uh, marketing people like that. It also, I think it really says to the audience that this is going to be a fun, slightly silly film. Don't take it too seriously, which I think is important, you know, because it's, that's what it is. It's a, it's a sort of fun ride, you know? So all of this. Did you, did you condition this guy or direct this guy to play this part in this manner? Or did he just come in with this character in mind? Because he's excellent. He's absolutely mm. brilliant. I mean, absolutely incredible. I mean, the character, you know, on the page, like I think it was Brent's best character. Like This whole Venice sequence is what Brent wrote. And it's, it was, it's just brilliant. It's so much Brent, you know, but I think that, um, but Alexander came in and said, I've got a version that I want to show you and did this. And it was just like, that's, you know, a lot of actors, you know, would just do it as it's on the page. Very few would go. I've got a completely unique take that you would never have imagined. And he did that, <laughs> and he's just incredible. <laughs> yeah, but he's there's like a vulnerability to him as well. Like he gets sort of like you know, there's like so much going on. He abs- I think he's absolutely brilliant. With it. I said to him when I was trying to persuade him to do it, I said, "This is like the moment when." Dennis Hopper turns up in Apocalypse Now, you know, just like a totally <laughs> new energy, like just madness, you know, that's yeah. what this wants to be. Um, I love the bullshit that directors spin. <laughs> you got to get him to come on board, you know. And I love that it does capture the kind of the sense of Venice Beach, which is that a mix of, yeah, mix of the sand, surf, but also grime, uh, drugs, yeah. uh, a little bit of insanity and, it's, and it's crime. It's a crazy place, yeah. I, I felt <laughs> yeah. like, because Venice wasn't in the script, it was somewhere, they went back to Hollywood and it's like, we got to, they've got to get to Venice. Like, that's got to be the place because it's such a, it just feels so, you know, such a sort of Bohemian, I mean, even though it's also weird incredibly rich like there's just a sort of inherent sort of mad danger to it there and obviously all his tattoos were makeup some were his oh. most were makeup oh really okay mm-hmm. well I just kept putting more and more and he loved it like he just you know <laughs> did you personally do it did you go over, no, no come back come <laughs> yeah. back yeah come back come back here we got my marker just gonna out. do a little penis here and <laughs> is this like a booty call or something I'm not that kind of girl. This whole, uh, I, I'm not that kind of girl. That was totally. <laughs> oh, really? You know, <laughs> That's great. That. I just thought yeah. it was so good. His yeah. performance is brilliant. Did you track who turned who and, and who knows 
which character the longest and pretty pr- pretty much yeah and, and the whole like they Zoe and Rocco had a relationship in the 70s and 80s and when she was in a particularly dark place when she'd left Victor and you know, like there, there was a whole backstory thing going on you know when she got heavily into drugs and whatever we sort of figured it. I mean actually it would be it would make a cool series the 70s vampires of LA mm. this would make a cool comic Divergent. yeah have you have you considered uh, sequels? Is that sort of on the cards, or is it something where you always you always sort of talk about that stuff, especially when you're making it, because you don't want to let it go. As time passes, you sort of start to focus on different things and get excited about different worlds. Mm. But you know, we'll see. It hasn't been discussed seriously yet. It's another beautiful shot. All these different colors. Eben is so talented. You, and yeah, have you worked with beautiful. Eben before? Yeah, he shot my. First film level up, and he shot. Oh, ah, okay. Um, so it's 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 fantastic to have had. So you have a bit of a short end with him. So I'm sure it's yeah, and he knows exactly what I like, and you know, and uh, I, and we do like you know, and we both really love the same sort of thing, and we both love um, you know a lot of sort of darkness in the frame. We love a lot of color. He really likes to light practically, which is what I really like. So that, and also it frees me up to shoot. You know, it, it, everything's much quicker because I don't mind if the characters walk into shadow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like every shot is lit perfectly. So, for example, with this, like we knew the colors we wanted. That was just from researching Venice and those sort of greens and things were really important and for the where we got to at this point. But then, you know, I knew we wanted these billboards and what the billboards were. And then he said, well, he could put sort of green lights around the billboards and that would give everything this green spill. And then he's got the pink. So it's ways of practically making sense. Whereas you see a lot of films where it's just green and pink for no reason. You know, it's just, yeah. uh, Whereas this, uh, yeah, there's, there's a reason for everything in this, like why it's colored that way. Did you have any pushback on using anamorphic lenses? Was there any sort of talk from, see, anytime that gets discussed in the, the UK, it's like, the visual effects people are like, oh, you can't shoot anamorphic. Oh, it's too expensive. Uh, it's way harder. Yeah, I think that's sort of, I mean, surely those days have gone, like everything Star Wars, everything shot on those. But in ICU, I couldn't shoot anamorphic because we just didn't have the money. They just That was one of the things that they just cut. But, you you know, I, I, I mean, it depends on the story you want to tell and what you want to do, but it felt for this, you wanted that. You wanted that, you know, the way it interacts with the light. It just differentiates films from tv because tv has gotten so cinematic nowadays but you still don't get a lot of tv shooting anamorphic and it's so funny you kind of or or there's the other extreme is the is the four by three ratio which is if you want to go very claustrophobic and uh into the character space just kind of like you go anamorphic or you go four by three yeah yeah yeah, it all depends on the story doesn't it It all depends it does yeah because i just well, I mean, you get huge budget films that are <laughs> yeah. shooting on, you know, these sort of gorgeous prime lenses. That's that's what they, you know, not everybody wants to shoot on anamorphic lenses. You know, mm-hmm. like they do certain things that they're not as good as other things. I thought ICU worked really well not using it in many ways. It allowed us to to go to use sort of slightly wider lenses in smaller environments and it gave it a slightly more clinical feel at times, you know, which was sort of useful in the first half of it. So... Although, frankly, I would have used anamorphic. They wouldn't let me. That was one of my, the things they took away from me three days before the shoot. 
So how long were is was the you were from the beginning of when you first came on board as project to when the film was released? What was the the length of time that you were involved in the project? It was about it was about three years, I think. Uh, I'm just uh, curious. The, the, from from, hand, from submitting it to Netflix to shooting it was about the shooting it was about sixteen months or something. But for me, the whole process from getting the script was about three and a half years. So how come you never come to visit anymore? We had a good thing going there. So this sequence, you're reading in the script, did you visualise it like this? Or did you get to the location and think, oh, this is a way that we could do it? Uh, it was different in the script. They were outside. Um, and did, it was, a lot of different things happened. Basically, Blair and Benny were like, I mean, I think in the original, they were having sex upstairs and she was downstairs. In fact, I think the very first script, it wasn't even in Venice. It was in like a mansion in Hollywood Hills. So like this changed a lot, but to that, but then to, to answer that question, like we found this location, it's very hard to find something for Venice in New Orleans. And we found this. And so just reworked the whole blocking of the scene to this. So then they were suddenly Rocco and Zoe were inside Blair and Benny were by the pool, which was the opposite way around because originally Zoe screams and then Blair looks out the window and there's Rocco's floating in the pool or something, you know? And so basically you had to rework everything to the location, which happens just a lot. Um, but it's sort of a fun puzzle, really, to figure all that stuff out. And here you're doing a similar gag where the the action, while initially is out of focus, kind of in the background. Yeah, and the guy, you know, we only had two, two attempts at the guy being flung out of that uh, window. Right. <laughs> and it was so specific, like that was so specifically imagined and storyboarded. You know, and that's, you know, the way that Debbie needs to sit up and then it happens at that exact moment. And, and it just works so well. It's just an amazing stunt. It was it looks so brutal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those ones where you're like, holy shit, I think he's dead. I think we've just killed <laughs> So is that like a pulley from like, you know, from outside pulling him out? Is that what, how it worked? No, I can't remember now. I think... That was just him. It was, yeah. Yeah. yeah Kevin, if you could ask Evan. Uh, Evan yeah, uh, about that. there we go. <laughs> I, 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 I have a feeling, I mean, it was all, it was like, you know, sugar glass. And then uh, I think he just got flung out. I think he just threw himself out, but I can't remember. Wow. Is this stuff fun to shoot or is it uh, stressful? This whole sequence was supposed to be a wanna, and then while doing the wanna, realized it wasn't good enough to be a wanna. So that became quite stressful. It's like, okay, shit, we need to grab some coverage quickly. Because, you know, it's all well and good sort of imagining things as a wanna, and everybody wants to do it, but it has to really work as a wanna, you know? Yeah. Especially a fight sequence, which is so, often so much better because when you edit, because you can be fast and furious, and it went the opposite way. So that was. Um, and also you're trying to do action sequences sometimes that your budget doesn't really allow you you want to do them in this elaborate way in these beautiful shots and but you don't have the time you know you don't have the three weeks of rehearsal and uh you know so so it, so it ends up being tricky but they were they were really great stunt team so the fact that i said i, I actually want to shoot this in a completely different way on the night and they were able to adapt it wow was pretty amazing so can now i ask the ticking clock of the sun coming up the sun's coming up but i yeah. want to ask you about because you brought up the wonder um is this 
so you were you were going to shoot that action scene, that fight scene in a, in a one And it was Would, all from Benny's. It was all from inside the car. Oh wow! So the so, whole thing was uh, a rig we built inside the car so that we could move 360 degrees, but never left Benny. In effect. Wow! Oh my God! So you 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 abandoned that plan on the night. I knew, I think, really, like, in rehearsal, like, the day before, okay, this, it's not quite doing it. It feels like we're trying too hard. I don't feel the impact of the fight at all. I want to be able to intercut between them. I thought we'll see, because we couldn't see it properly until the day we were shooting. So we did the first take, and it's like, I'm definitely going to need to get on the Steadicam. And and I basically wanted to follow Blair Mm -hmm. in front and behind and follow Zoe in front and behind. You know, basically follow each of them and intercut that with the setup we had for Benny. And because from an emotional point of view, Zoe's kind of mortally injured or seems to be mortally injured at that point, point as well. So it kind of takes the fun. It, it adds more urgency rather than, you know, it, coolness. Exactly, exactly. And you need so, you know, you you need so much happening. I like that look she gave to work. Just like she mm-hmm. blames oh, him yeah, for that's, this. That, that's fun, that look. Yeah, we made that up in the moment. So all of this is, all the exterior is LA and then the interior here is New Orleans and a, a, a set. And it was so difficult to find a house, so difficult, because obviously we needed a house in which there's a window that a car can drive through, you know, <laughs> that would go straight into the living room that it, it allowed for a space that would work for a whole end sequence. Um, it needed God. to be isolated, the house. It felt like it was up in the middle of the Topanga Mountains. There were all of these things, and it was just incredibly difficult to find. Um, and then the set that we built, which we needed to build, Again, in effect, it's just a giant room and you have five actors, five actors, four actors in this big concrete room with lots of dialogue and it became like shooting a stage play. And that's in part what made it such a difficult thing to shoot. You know, everything else was very much thought of like shot by shot. Everything was very well. But suddenly you're shooting that and it's like, okay, well now it's much freer and it's just four people in a room and, uh, and it was an incredibly difficult scene to write and constantly got rewritten even the day before. And it was an incredibly difficult oh, scene to edit. Hell. And I and I think it's, you know, you just know if the scene's really difficult to write, if there's something going on with the actual writing of the scene, mm-hmm. you know, it just translates that when you're shooting it, you're going to face similar problems. And when you're editing it, you're going to face similar problems. Jesus. This was, I, I love this with the whole, the tank, the, the infinite reflections. It was horrible. The, like, you put that we put the background artists in there and we just, as soon as we called cut, I would have to open it because it just freaked everybody out. Because you could only see Why? yourself. You couldn't see anything. You just saw thousands of yourself. <gasps> oh, oh you're when you're surrounded. inside. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's torturous. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. Seeing yourself from all angles. Yeah. That would turn me on. so this was stressful because of that it was also the few days before we left to go to LA in which we knew now that there was a mass pandemic happening outside Mm. and it was when they decided you know they shut the borders and all this stuff was happening oh no you Uh, knew yeah now now I was telling you believed in Kevin Um, (laughs) and everybody had this feeling like the moment we left the shoot we were going to be faced with this horrible reality. Almost like the longer we shot, the more we could hide from it, you know, but the moment we, we sort of wrapped and went out into the world, it was like, fuck, now we have to deal with. Did any of your cast or any of your crew think uh, the film would not get completed? I, they probably wouldn't have expressed that to you. No, I don't. Did you have any concerns that it, that it wouldn't get completed? 
No, I didn't. Um, only because we were making a film with Netflix, basically. So, okay. uh, no, uh, you know, I mean, they've got the pockets, the deep pockets to be able to, yeah. to withstand, but also they were so sort of supportive and happy with the film um, that it was really... So, so I was in communication with the execs there the whole way through lockdown, you know, and they actually gave us time to edit and, you know set up a system in my house and the editor's house so that we could do remote editing. So they were being incredibly supportive and we were working on the scripts and things during that time. So it didn't feel like that, but I didn't know when it was going to be. This isn't the gotcha question, but is there anything about the film that on reflection, as you're watching it, that you think, oh, I wish we had uh, done that or um, I wish if I was doing it again, I would do this. Is there anything... Yeah, oh, there's tons, you know. I'd sit for this. We should start from the beginning and I can talk. Uh, but the, I mean, the big, the, the, for me, like, and I, you know, this is a big thing that, but I all, I, I did feel like this, but it's just the way, you know, there's, there's a version of this film in which an Uber driver goes and picks up two girls to go to a party and then finds out that they're vampires and has a crazy night. And, and it's so much simpler and you're not trying to set up this huge world at the same time that there's a part of me that feels like, and I felt like I remember even shooting going, oh, it's funny it was just, you know, him going to, because there's just a sort of simplicity to that story. I think that trying to get in all of the, all of the exposition, all of that, you know, it, it's difficult. And when you see the reaction of people and they're either frustrated that they don't know enough, they're like, we should, I want to know more about this world. Or they're saying, I don't want to know it. I don't want it to stop to explain things. I just want to enjoy it. And so I feel like on, on, a, on a, you know, there is a version that I think could have been sort of more simple. Um, and you could have, because the, the thing I love about this film is the three of them hanging out. Yeah. Going, you know, that's the best moment. Every, all of my favourite scenes are that. So there's definitely that. I, you know, I wish a little bit that we had pushed the kind of the gore and the blood a little bit more. I think like we skirted around that we weren't quite sure you know how far to take it i think in retrospect it could we could have gone a bit further and in a fun way you know it didn't have to be horrific it could have just been a little bit more a bit more and this is where we realized that benny is the villain all along he's just killed her because he's killed zoe and zoe's amazing (laughs) what's interesting about this film is like it is the birth of i mean in effect it's like it's a pretty it's an immoral arc i mean really by the end of the film he's now going to go out and a new king has, going uh, going has kill arrived. a load of people to feed on, and he's you know he's got the girl, he's got the car. <laughs> he's the new Alfie Allen, the new Victor. <laughs> yeah, and the effect of Zoe with with Zoe getting asked right there is she, um, you know, like did she she obviously just performed us and then you digitally superimposed obviously her exactly exactly her. yeah okay. that that actually there is a a a model there of of a you know. Oh, okay. Right, the um, Pompeii yeah. type figure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but on the whole, you know, it's it's all VFX, and she just did sort of these insane death sequences. How did he get out of the the box? Uh, oh, Al- Alfie's Victor's using him as bait. Yeah, he's yeah. got oh, like on a string and yeah, he's yeah. using him to pull Benny into the darkness. It's the first time watching this. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's getting knifed. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go, yeah. Jump into the light moment. Mm-hmm. 
that, the smashing of the window and all that. Yeah, this is on a phantom. So this is <laughs> this is on a completely different system, so that we can shoot that slow, you know, that many frames a second. Um, this whole thing, you know, with the glass smashing, with the light coming through. You know, we had two attempts, but actually we didn't want to use the second because we would have pretty much not been able to shoot anything else because the amount of time to put up all that glass again and rebuild everything. So really we needed it to just work on the first take, which it did. Um, you know, that took a huge amount of planning and work. That's a lot of stress when you when you know you've a, a, basically a one shot at doing a particular shot, then I'm sure yeah. everyone's, you can feel, I, mean, I assume you can feel the tension on set. Everyone knows. Yeah, everybody came to watch, you know, all the cast, mm-hmm. like everyone just came to watch. It's like being a writer and doing a pitch. Mm. <laughs> You've got one take at the one shot at this. Yeah. Yep. Same thing, you know, absolutely the same thing. <laughs> and everyone comes to watch you crash and burn. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get your, your crane shot. They gave it to you. They said, yeah, you can have it. Mm-hmm. So this this area is uh, a build. This uh, this space that they're in. Yeah, that's all a okay. build. Yeah, and these mountains are they a build? Or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This that's stuff, a I mean, is shot. absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Did you shoot this uh, with a helicopter or a drone? Helicopter. Second unit. Were you there to see it? <gasps> I was watching on a live feed. God it damn it! COVID, there was like certain restrictions. They could only have one person up there. And, uh, but I'll set us kind of second unit DP up there. Um, uh, and that shot just going over the, the mountains uh, was the actual first shot of the film originally, wasn't it? Yes, it, it was. was. And I it said, was. change it. And <laughs> and despite that, we changed it. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you can use it somewhere else. <laughs> so this sequence originally... Benny puts his hand in the light and then his hand sets on fire. You see it all smoking. Um, oh, really? Wow. But yeah, but we cut that quite late because it felt like just double beats, you know, just keep establishing. And also once you've said that, then it's... Because the scene with him and his brother in the pizza place, that was a brand new scene. That wasn't in the script. That was something that, because we were on lockdown, that was one of the scenes we added. It felt like we needed some resolution between the two of them. He is really good though, mm-hmm. George. Yeah. So wait a second. So he's not a vampire at the end. No, he is a vampire. We just didn't need to show it at that moment. We just didn't want to show yeah. fully at that moment. I, you know, it's like giving everything away. You sort yeah. of, it's nice oh. to kind of still have the question. And then in the library is when you. Okay. So it. don't listen to this uh, commentary, uh, folks. No, as you said, it was, it was, it was a double beat. I could completely understand. It's like you, you, yeah. you hit the same note twice. Yeah, we'll explain it afterwards, Kevin. Yeah. It's just a simple ro- <laughs> screen, screenwriting tip for you. I'm editing this, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> the whole world's changed. So, like, this is one where you want, we, you know, normally it will be full of people um, because of the restrictions of the pandemic. There's, like, eight people there or oh, something. Of course. <laughs> you know? Of course, yeah. It's an amazing, it's, I mean, we put all the food trucks them, and though. all the lights and but it's an incredible space. All that art, street art, it's all there. It's like a street art gallery. Wow. And now again, it's just like perfectly set up for a sequel, you know, or in, in some way, shape or form, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he left him a bag. 
Oh, shit, sorry, my money. That was too much of a tip, wasn't it? <laughs> here we go. And now we're here at the end. This is the library shot or the library scene. Yeah. The famous library scene. <laughs> oh, it's those fuckers from the nightclub. They laughed at him, so now they need to get murdered. That was the story of my uh, my life, Kevin, growing up as a, all the way through my teenage years. <laughs> she laughed at me, so now. <laughs> you get murdered. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. They were so cold. This was like unbelievably freezing this night. And 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 this these poor actors. I mean, she's in like a little skirt. She was like shaking. You can see her teeth. <laughs> oh god. Those these are the moments I feel bad for people anyone. I'm like, oh just please just get them wrapped up now, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now she's going to show for him around. Uh-huh. So this tune was written Symmetry. for the film. Um, and, you know, the lyrics were related to his story. And then George actually does a verse in this. I just saw that because oh, wow. I got the subtitles there and it said by him. Yeah, he does a, he does like the second verse of it. Multi hyphenate. His vampire teeth. Night teeth. Well done. <laughs> And I love the uh, I love the the closing credits. These are class. You know why? In part, why this is is because we so we wrote this tune and it got Benny on it and everything. And but on Netflix, it goes straight to you know you should also watch. So to elongate the amount of time you could listen to the track, we realized Mm -hmm. we needed to put something at the end so you could actually. So clever, we, clever. So we put this little. Originally, it was going to be much more complicated. It was them driving out of LA into the desert, you know. But we didn't. We realized that was just too much. No, it's a it's a really cool film, Adam. Genuinely, like when I said, like we took it straight to Netflix. Like there was nowhere else that we thought we could make this film. Really, like you know, the way that the world is now. I don't know who else would make a film. Like you know, if it was a straight horror vampire film then there's at different places but to make a film like this like almost like I hope like the films that we grew up on more you know 80s and 90s films those sort of genre mashups those kind of one crazy night youthful films like we just stop like either this is going to be Netflix if they don't want to do it then I'm not sure it's ever going to happen mm-hmm. yeah yeah. and how did this do on Netflix how did it perform uh, it was number one around the world for the first couple of weeks it came out so it did oh, wow, sort of exceeded expectations of that and then it's about now it's just the sort of long game you know people just the more you know the different types of people who discover it than the different places that it's put on your home screen you know it all depends well, what genres it does you know wait and see once this commentary comes out it's gonna go straight into the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> wait and see uh, no, fair play to Eben. It's a great film, and <laughs> I, I want to uh, I want to give a shout out to Eben as well for you everything mention, he did. You should definitely mention him. But listen, Adam, fair play. You um, you're rocking it. Four films down. Well done, man. And this is my favorite. So 
Thank yeah. you. Thank it's you. A, it's a cracking little film, and uh, everyone we we endorsed it when uh, uh, when when we first came out, and we I still uh, endorse it. I recommend everyone to go and watch it. It is a cracking film. Yeah, and it feels like a really nice culmination of us doing the commentaries over the last uh, year and a bit. So no, we get to uh, to come back with season three. So right. that's a, a nice topper. So thanks, what's Adam. Ha- what's happening with season three? Any sneak peeks? Yeah, it's just a lot of great episodes. <laughs> uh, really fun and um, it's our best season yet, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> which, which also hasn't been recorded yet, Adam. We haven't recorded any of it yet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Where can people find you? Oh, you said to me last time, didn't you? Where can people find me? Uh, on on Instagram, um, <laughs> as my name, uh, with three O's, Adam Randall with three O's, because someone had taken Adam Randall, and then I'm on Twitter. Really? But I, yeah. Okay. For real. Um, and then Ad Randall on Twitter, but I, I don't use it very much. I just read Kevin's tweets and occasionally <laughs> like them, but normally yeah. text him and say, "What are you doing?" What, what he does is he sends screen grabs of my tweets and says, "What the fuck is this about?" And I then have to explain to him, and I was like, "You know, you could actually just tweet me." But uh, never mind. Anyway, all right. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, yes. we'll. Absolutely. It was great. Uh, a wonderful culmination to the audio commentaries. Thank you very much. And uh, see you soon. Take care, everyone. See you, Adam. Thanks, guys. Bye. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show. The full episode, plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Mini bits. Another new episode of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bitch podcast with Will and Ken. Bonus content for you, yeah. That's right. This is for you. Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey. How are you? Oh, you know, I've got this. I've got my corns sorted out. I went to the Chiraptist the other day and uh, she Your said... corn? To, my corns. Did you, ever get, did you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that. Do you, do you not wear any shoes like around the house you walk no, barefoot? No, I, I, I wear... No, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women oh. who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a Mini Bits episode where we get people disgusted. Squally, it's episode 73 of the Mini Bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, you're Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode and then every so often it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode and yeah. I'm like 
what did we, how did we say it? What did we say on that episode? It's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes. Maybe it doesn't sound as desperate. Maybe we said, don't join, maybe reverse psychology. That's how we should do it. Reverse psychology. Don't join up to our patron. Don't. It's, <laughs> cancel. You don't des- Everybody you, cancel. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We don't, we don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people, we, we did, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't say it on mic, especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I, how do you think I did? I, I, I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across, but you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with, did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They were, they were profiled in the Guardian as well. Yeah, but we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. We don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is going to be mad. So um, uh, listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're 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 before an OG. Bust. You're an OG listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those I, are my Prince Albert. Uh, <laughs> your hat? <laughs> yeah. I Speaking of, of which I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glitch. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of, which? Start the timer. Oh, I forgot. You may as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky loos are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after. Yeah. We, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. Very soon. Okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. It doesn't Jeez. really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh. takes your fancy. Okay, okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So, um, I'm well, the Joker to two trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes, I watched that. Hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see. It's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, look, hey, listen. Uh, I, I actually what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch. <laughs> rewatched the Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show, the Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be... Just to fill me in like on the lore. <laughs> get up to speed. Get you right up to speed. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be there going, where where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? Where, where are they going to show up? And like, It's you know, a bit of a weird time though where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of Joker, which is its own universe entirely. Mm. 
And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like this, just everywhere. What, well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world has very much entered the, the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors. And there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh this is the thing. Insane. Kevin, so I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast. Wait, was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, you, you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. And have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to raise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people under sort of trying to every, raise oh you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting though, like, um, tweets, comments, TikToks. Uh, articles, anything insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. Okay. I was like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay, <laughs> it's just it's it's everywhere. And the other, th- do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly whatever. It would just they're morons. But no. <laughs> I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word, A-L-O-T, a lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, (laughs) but I can't get it right. It's like the you I. Because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. (laughs) Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Ah. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's me fucking? What? Where's me ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right. 